1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmoviecom Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmoviecom wondery.
2: This is the Hash podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley, Jen Sinassi, and Adam B. Levine on the show with us today. We're going to get you up to speed on stories that caught our eye the wild world of crypto starting with will and some silvergate news what's up will happy friday everyone kind of a
3: bummer story to end the week on but nonetheless pretty important story silvergate the crypto focused bank is suspending dividend payments for its preferred stock setting the stock down about 20 percent as of showtime to around nine dollars per share silvergate is important because a lot of people in the industry use it for banking a lot of High-profile lending agencies, a lot of crypto startups use Silvergate. There hasn't been a lot of US-based banks that are uh, regulated by the federal government who have wanted to jump into crypto. And so when there are a few that get uh, issues or have issues, it's pretty notable. Zach, start the story, throwing it over to you. Not a great way to end the week, but also not shocking because Silvergate has had a lot of problems over the last three months with the drawdown of FTX.
2: Yeah, a lot of doubts around uh, the health of Silvergate, obviously kind of getting hammered in the markets, uh, not just today, but I guess over the last few weeks. So yeah, more bad news for Silvergate. I think there's a lot of scrutiny ramping up around banking relationships and crypto. I think there was a little item, I don't know where I read it, but about, you know, a crypto firm sort of being denied access to, to the banking system. Because I think the scrutiny and the questions being asked on the regulatory side in the wake of FTX are certainly escalating. So, this unfortunately kind of fits, I think, into that narrative where ultimately crypto firms may have a hard time finding the banking partners that they've really ended up relying on these last few years. So, that I think is probably the big picture. But as it relates to Silvergate itself, you know, I think there's questions like, is Signature like going to run into these issues? They are also another prominent bank that serves the crypto industry. So, yeah, a lot of questions swirling, but certainly a lot go in on. Adam, I'll toss it to you.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily think that this is bad news. I think that this is more a reflection of reality kind of moment. The reality of it is, is that Silvergate made a lot of money, uh, off of, uh, kind of its crypto exposure and off of the, you know, servicing that it was doing. And then it lost more money than it had ever made off of crypto over the lifetime of its engagements and losses that were uh, disclosed at the end of the last quarter. So. I mean, like that's the reality in that type of situation. Like what a dividend is, is it's like, hey, we're doing so well that we actually don't even need this money and we'll just pay it to you because you own equity in the company. Company's not in a position to be doing that anymore. uh, Certainly not right now. And so, again, it's a prudent move, even if it is something that won't exactly make Wall Street thrilled. The counterpart also on this is that it's not like anybody else is doing any better, whether in kind of the traditional exchange world, uh, you know, or the crypto world. Like times are tough, right? Like the, the Federal Reserve has turned off the liquidity tap. That's rough for risk markets in the modern era. And so it's not surprising to see this. And also, if it were happening in a different environment, then maybe it would be worse. But I really think this is, again, just a reflection of reality story more than anything else. Jen?
1: Yeah, I wasn't surprised when I read this this morning as well. And I've said this on the show before. I think that so many firms that operate in this industry, or even adjacent to this industry, weren't prepared for this bear cycle. And they certainly weren't prepared for two massive implosions. And so when I read this, it makes sense for Silvergate, right? They need to do what's best for their business. They need to remain as liquid as possible. And so Adam, I completely agree with you. And Zach, to your point, I think I've said this before on the show as well, it just feels like deja vu to me. You know, there was a time in the industry where no crypto firms could get bank accounts. It was super hard to do banking. Solutions were, were brought up to those challenges and now it feels like we're just going back in circles again. And I wonder if all of these people who are building in middle season with all of this, VC money that's still flowing through the industry are going to have a hard time finding bank accounts and interacting with the traditional financial uh, ecosystem because of all of this drama we're seeing. But Will, I'll pass it back to you.
3: Yeah, just a few more numbers, which I think gives some more context for the story. The stock for Silvergate was actually drawn down 90% last year. And then the drawdown today, of course, was about 20% so far. So that's a pretty brutal beating in the public markets. And just like you see, I said, Silvergate is one signature is the other, might be a few others that do some boutique services for crypto, but really just those are the two largest players that are servicing on behalf of crypto players out there. Uh, Silvergate said that they actually lost about $1 billion last quarter, and that was mainly because of the contagion from FTX. FTX was a large banking partner with them. And we still have to find out what that's going to be like for Silvergate, right? That they're caught up in that whole process with FTX. Creditors, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Maybe they get some funds back. Uh, maybe some funds aren't silver right now. Like we still have a lot of questions around this. But public markets—they don't like that uncertainty. They really don't like uncertainty when it comes to a bank. No one likes that uncertainty when it comes to a banking institution. So I think that's why you're going to see some pummeling in uh, in their stock price.
2: I'll throw it up to Zach for a last take on the story. No, I mean that covers it. I mean that was really comprehensive. Well done, mm-hmm. analysis. All around, great
0: work, team. All right, so we're not really changing gears from the uh, last story. That's 2022 was a rough year for miners, and although we've seen some asset prices rise, the pain may last, at least for some. In a Thursday filing with the Eastern District of New York, Argo Blockchain, which trades on the NASDAQ and the London Stock Exchange, was accused of failing to disclose that it suffered from significant capital constraints, as well as electricity and network difficulties. The suit alleges that, quote, Argo's business was less sustainable than defendants had led investors to believe and quote, and as a result, the financial prospects for the company were worse than disclosed. Thus, the lawsuit. The plaintiffs want the case to become a class action lawsuit also, which will mean even more trouble for the beleaguered company. Well, it's been a long time since we've seen a positive story about a miner. What's your read here? And when will we be, be able to talk about something a little more positive when it comes to minors? It's going to be a while. And my catchphrase
3: for all these stories is distressed minor season because it really is and Argo Blockchain was one of those to miners and just kind of hit a wall with a bunch of different things. So as a disclosure, I do work for a mining company running media for them, so a little salt there before we start. Argo Blockchain took out a lot of debt over 2022 in order to fuel its operations. As you mentioned there, Adam, difficulty is something that miners have to work against. for those who don't know what difficulty is. It's basically this self-adjusting algorithm within Bitcoin. If more people want to mine Bitcoin, difficulty of mining Bitcoin goes up. If less people want to mine Bitcoin, then it goes down. And difficulty is tied to Bitcoin price. So as Bitcoin's price went up a lot over the last two years, well, a lot of miners wanted to join the network. And so it became very hard to mine Bitcoin. In order to keep up with everyone else, you had to invest in a lot of infrastructure, a lot of miners and staff. And that stuff is expensive. And so a lot of miners like Argo blockchain, a few others took out debt, they sold Bitcoin, they diluted their stockholders. And sometimes it just doesn't quite pan out. Things come unlucky. And so I think Argo is in that situation. Uh Though they've had a nice change of pace recently, they've sold some infrastructure and it looks like they're actually holding it pretty steady right now. I do want to turn to the lawsuit side of this really quickly before throwing it up to Zach. And the lawsuit angle here is most miners actually have about a dozen lawsuits out against them. Like This is something I actively track. And why? It's because a lot of these investors got into it for the first time. I think about 20-plus mining companies are now public. Before the cycle, there was maybe a handful, four or five. All these new investors jumping in have no idea what they were purchasing. And they purchase a very volatile asset that trades just like any token out there. It goes up 90%, it goes down 90%. And you have to live with it. And so I think there's a lot of new investors who are just learning the ropes. And right now they're going to file lawsuits, but next season, they'll probably make some cash. Zach, up to you.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that like about these disclosures, right? Because that's sort of the, uh, you know, the basis for this complaint is that you know, we were led to believe that they were more sustainable than they really were, right? And I would be curious to know like what sort of legal language goes into some of these disclosures, right? Because you, you have to sort of convey the volatility of these markets and the historical reality of 80, 90% drawdowns on some of these major crypto assets, right? And that's something that I don't think the public markets fully realize. Uh, nor have internalized. If you look at across, like you know, the major crypto, the major, crypt, the major uh, crypto firms that are publicly listed, they are just getting hammered, right? Coinbase, which has weathered this storm rather admirably, and maybe the last big exchange standing, public markets don't care about that at all. They see crypto down, and in turn, Coinbase stock is down significantly from those all time highs back, uh, back in I think April twenty twenty one when they first listed. So the reality of the public markets, I don't think is really caught up with the reality of the crypto markets. And we keep seeing this sort of discordance between those two things and sort of you know, misalignment, I think, from public market investors who just really aren't accustomed to this stuff. So it is pretty crazy. You know, Will, I know you mentioned the asset sale. Their Texas mining facility was sold to Galaxy Digital in sort of a last minute bid to stave off bankruptcy. I think that is interesting as it relates to the Texas mining narrative Again, in the boom times, that was going to be maybe a a bigger part of their economy, but they're sort of in hangover mode as miners outright leave and abandon their facilities down in Texas. So pretty crazy to think that the whiplash of mining firms rushing to go public and now sort of on the brink of bankruptcy in several cases is really quite striking. Jen, I saw your hand up and I'm going to toss it down to you. Curious for your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I was going to echo a lot of the same things you and Will said. I think that all of these class action lawsuits that we're seeing pop up are an indication of just how upset people are that they didn't maybe understand the industry in the way they thought they did when they entered it via whatever vehicle they did. That said, public companies do need to make these disclosures, right? And if they didn't disclose the things that they are being accused of disclosing, I would be interested to see that information. But I think I would want to see more information to the extent of the, these restraints that they're talking about, the restraints and network difficulties, and determine if that is something that is so out of the ordinary and that would have actually affected the price were it disclosed. Uh, Adam, I'm going to toss it off to you. I don't know if you have any more information to add there or any thoughts.
0: No, I, I don't have any more information on that. But actually, I'm going I'm to steal the ball here and I'm going to pass it to Will. So Will, you talked about how a lot of miners have taken out debt. And that is, in fact, a narrative that will be seen quite significantly. One of the things that's kind of always baffled me, and I was talking with a friend about this a couple of weeks ago, is that miners are taking our debt denominated in dollars, but what they're earning is Bitcoin. And so, I mean, how much has that exacerbated the pain that we've seen? Why are they doing that? Yeah, that's
3: the uh, trillion dollar question for Bitcoin miners, right? Because everything that you owe is in, in dollars, but you know, you're earning this Bitcoin yield. And what happens if you don't sell the Bitcoin at the correct time? And we've seen a lot of different strategies from miners. Iris Energy is one miner, and they sold Bitcoin daily every time they mined it. So they sold it from $69,000 all the way to the bottom now, and they're still selling. We've seen other miners hold and not sell like Marathon. But if you look at it, almost every single model has broken in some way. Iris Energy defaulted on an SBV. Marathon has had a lot of troubles with its own uh, treasury. So like, there's not really a good way of doing it. It's all about balance, and really it comes down to luck. Jen, I'll throw it to you though for our next story.
1: All right. Another bad story to end uh, off Friday, but stick around because I think Zach might just lift us up before we go into the weekend. We are going off to South Korea right now. Crypto exchange BitThumb was raided. Prosecutors are investigating transactions related to a specific person or entity moving the price of a coin to make a profit and said that they'll look into similar transactions on other exchanges, according to a report. So this is another notch in a long line of enforcement against BitThumb in South Korea. We can unpack that a little bit later in the segment, but Adam, I'm going to toss it off to you. What do you what do you make of this? Prosecutors are saying that this is not actually against BitThumb, but they're looking into this one entity and this is going to happen across other exchanges.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is pretty consistent from the South Korean prosecutors and from the regulatory bodies that are there. South Korea was characterized in kind of the early days by the so-called kimchi premium because it was really, really difficult to actually get money in and out of the country. And it was really hard to arbitrage between those things, again, because of the regulatory regime that was put into place. There are some apocryphal stories, in fact, that suggest that that's how Sam Bankman-Fried made some of his initial money in the pre-FTX days. So... This is, I think, uh, actually a less significant thing than we typically see. Typically, they are larger actions going after larger players. And this really does just seem like the cops are coming in and saying, hey, somebody who we think is a criminal was using your exchange. We need all the information about it. Doing it as a raid is a little interesting. It indicates that they don't think that the company would comply or at least that they want to make a statement, right, that they want to be visible out there demonstrating that they're doing something. That makes some sense, honestly. South Korea has been hit by the Terra Luna ecosystem collapse, hit very, very hard. It was a project primarily based out of South Korea. And so there, there is a little bit of, you know, closing the barn door after the horses are out type of thing going on here, where these, these regulators have to look like they're effective. They have to look like they're doing something. Doesn't surprise me to see this. I suspect we'll see more. Uh, Zach? Yeah, whoever is doing this,
2: that person or entity, go to DeFi, my man. Come on, why are you <laughs> doing this through an exchange? This some type of price manipulation. <laughs> This is the thing that made Avi Eisenberg famous before he was arrested in Puerto Rico for manipulating markets and doing these market-type exploits on prominent DeFi protocols. So, yeah, the idea that this is through an exchange is kind of curious to me, I'd say. But I echo Adam in that, yes, it is consistent from Korea to be doing this, especially in the wake of terror. They need to be be seen as doing action here uh, to stop market manipulation. And if that's what's being alleged in this instance, yeah, it seems like the normal course of business for market regulators in Korea and elsewhere. But yeah, DeFi, what are you doing? Why are you doing this on a decentralized exchange person didn't help or Bobby. entity? Yeah, it didn't help him
3: either. That's true. Anyway, Will, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know this is not the United States, but I do want to kind of bring up like the securities classification for these things. Uh, it's just interesting to see like the state and just like any state like South Korea, the United States, wherever else is going after market manipulation when they're still not really clear on what these things are in the first place, right? Like is it a security? Is it this novel asset? Is it something else? Is it a commodity? Yet they're really keen on protecting the integrity of these marketplaces. And it's just quite odd. Like BitThumb has been known for quite a while, but you just brought up the DeFi story, right? Mingo Markets is really new. It's been around for less than two years. And yet the SEC and others are keen on making sure that that market has integrity. It's really confusing. And if I worked at as a regulator, I would be so confused what my actual job was. Is it to take down these assets or is it to prove that these assets should operate on these exchanges with integrity. Like what is the purpose here? So I'm just confused. Also the raid. Why do you need to raid a raid of physical office? All this stuff is online. I don't know. I don't get it. Jen, throw it over to you.
1: I just want to add some more information to help us think about this in context. So BitThumb's also being probed by South Korean tax authorities who are investigating tax evasion via domestic and international transactions. And in a separate probe, a local news outlet in Korea reported that BitThumb chairman, and two other executives were being charged with embezzlement, and so maybe this raid isn't for all that they're saying it was about. Maybe they're raiding to get more information on these other two probes that are happening simultaneously. and that I think there's more to this than meets the eye. But let's move on to the last story.
2: Ooh, intrigue, I like it. All right let's go <laughs> talk about Ted Cruz, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, out here submitting some legislation called the Accept Resolution that would require the acceptance of cryptocurrency at restaurants, vending machines, and gift shops in the Capitol complex. Pretty funny. I don't know if this is ever gonna be used or if it's gonna be approved, but this is being put forth as a gesture of crypto-friendliness in an environment in Congress that has become increasingly crypto-skeptical. Who'd to thunk? Ted Cruz out here, the Bitcoin vending machines.
0: Adam, I'll toss it to you. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts here. Uh, First up, again, it's Ted Cruz, which means by default, almost, this is a stunt. Uh, Secondly, the idea that this would be anything other than a stunt is given away by the fact that what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it so you can spend cryptocurrency when we know that's the one thing that people don't do with cryptocurrency in practice. And then, of course, I think that the one thing that may push it in the other direction is, well, we do know that a pretty significant proportion of politicians uh, you know, in Washington DC, currently in seats or in seats last year, have taken money from FTX. So maybe they actually do have a bunch of crypto that they're just sitting around waiting to spend on <laughs> buying a bond, bond from a on vending machine.
1: Snacks? I mean, if you really don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, ridiculous story. Happy to end on it. Uh, who wants it next, Jen? It's down to you.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, this has stunt written all over it. I've never seen a crypto vending machine. I wonder how it would work. It feels like it would just be kind of ridiculous. And so this is a hilarious story. But maybe, maybe this is a way to educate politicians and lawmakers about crypto. Maybe they, they can get some crypto in their wallets, they can buy a chocolate bar, they can walk on over to their next meeting. I don't know. It is kind of ridiculous, but also funny. I love it for a Friday afternoon. Will, what do you think?
3: Crypto and vending machines is very American, though. We got like the innovation side totally. and like the terrible foods that are <laughs> awful really for you crazy. side and just smashed together on Capitol Hill with Ted Cruz. It's great. Can we get that photo back of Ted Cruz, by the way, eating that hamburger or whatever? That's a great photo. I want to look at You're it. The king just a little bit of more. photo callback. <laughs> it's good. It's good. He looks great in this photo. I love it. He's like mid bite there. Yeah, we'll get back in a second. It's fantastic. I mean, Ted Cruz <laughs> is really speaking to his constituency as well, right? Uh, Texas is Bitcoin mining country. Austin's really becoming sort of like a Bitcoin-centric zone. That being said, he's kind of like speaking to crypto here, right? He wants crypto to be adopted on Capitol Hill. So maybe he doesn't quite have the pitch right yet. Zach, back to you. Uh,
2: Yeah, I mean, it'll be funny if this comes to pass. I doubt that it will. But hey, maybe, you know, maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is the mass adoption that we've been clamoring for all these years, that there's one vending machine on Capitol Hill where lawmakers mm-hmm. and their staffs can get Snickers with the cryptocurrency <laughs> of their choice. It doesn't specify. It just says digital assets, right? Could be Bitcoin, could be stable coins, could be ETH. Don't a NFTs? lot of people talk about vending machines as like a model for understanding smart contracts? Isn't that like a they thing, do. right? They do. So it's, it's a like, real world there's asset. It's right? a lot That's to what this. I'm saying. There's a lot to That's, this. What, I'm a lot to That's this. what I'm saying. There's so much here. There's so many layers here. And yes, it is an opportunistic stunt, but you know what? We're talking about it and I'm into it. And maybe this is how the crypto payments use case ultimately inches its way across this great land of ours. I don't know, what do you guys think? I you think it's gonna happen?
1: Crazier things have happened. I'm down happened. for it. Yeah, Okay, same. okay,
0: okay, okay, okay. So, oh, yeah. so crypto vending Adam, machines would well, actually work. Don't, don't do it. I mean, like they do actually work. I remember back Come in the on, very early days- Come on, tether for a like, no, it's No, but I mean, again, like it's a cash thing, right? If you look at using a credit card in a vending machine versus using crypto in a vending machine, the risk factors are somewhat similar insofar, like, but there's just kind of less barriers on the on the crypto side. There are good use cases to be had here. Is Capitol Hill the place to roll this out where we're really going to see that adoption? Not convinced of that, but I do think the use case Maybe. will eventually catch on. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I just want if there's going to be a vending
3: machine with that accepts crypto. It's got to have like a food token associated with it, so like a Snicker <laughs> oh, token God. or a
2: Bond Bond token. And
0: that's how I you want purchase Snickers the asset. NFTs. Washington I Snacks. Want NFT I think for that's
1: could the item.
2: Could be. Could be. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll leave it there. I I was gonna dust off the old memory bin. I remember there was a civic beer vending machine where you could pay in crypto and have Ooh. your age verified through decentralized ID. That never went anywhere. Ooh. But hey, it was at South by Southwest mm-hmm. one time. All right, that's it Shocking. for the show today. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Zach. We got Will, Adam, Jen. We wish you a happy weekend from the hash crew. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. See ya.
0: You've been listening to The Hash
1: on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line The Hash or leave
2: us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.